You're listening to WP Radio. I'm your host, Terry Doherty, and this is an OIAA podcast. On today's episode, we had Katie Schultz of Schultz Frost, and she speaks about the Me Too movement. Guys, it's a great episode. Enjoy it. Relax. It's in two parts. It's so good. You're going to really want to sit and listen to both. Um, So there was a survey done, and um, it was concluded that I could have caffeine before starting this. Um, If that was the wrong conclusion, we're stuck with it now. So there we go. Um, Normally I'm caffeine-free, and no one believes that. So um, the other thing is you can see that I'm all wired up. So I have a live mic. And I have a dead mic because this is also being recorded for the, that's not about you, Michael, Um, but this is being recorded for the podcast for the OIA, which means really that I need to do some vocal warm-up exercises to lower my voice down to the tone of a sex phone operator. (laughs) But since we're talking about Me Too, that is not appropriate. Okay. So um, if you all thought that you were going to show up and we were going to have a really serious conversation, you are absolutely right, but we're going to do it a la Schultze with um, some storytelling and some humor um, because that's how we can all be open to learning and to being successful. Um, And with that, I've also learned in these keynotes, um, it's been about a year and a half now that I've been asked to... um, to do some facilitated training and discussions around Me Too. And what I have learned is that sometimes when I share a little about myself, the room shares too. So I want to um, I want to read you a little bit about a story um, that I shared at the Women in Insurance conference uh, last May in, uh, in 2018. Picture walking into a prestigious downtown full-service law firm, waiting to be greeted, then brought into a lawyer's office. There were three men, a partner and two of his associates. The partner reached out to introduce himself and shake my hand. As he did, he tickled the inside of my palm with his middle finger. He winked at me and he said, so Katie, What does the BJ stand for? Folks, my name's Katie Barbara Jean Schultz. I was named after both my grandmothers. (laughs) Katie's a nickname. You understand why. Okay. Um, This was actually a defining moment in my life. Knowing at that beat that life was full of choices, choices of how to communicate, how to respond, react, or act. Choices about who I was, what I stood for, what I wanted, like a bloody articling job, and instantly that I was not the first, nor would I be the last. I'm not really a spiritual person, depends on how many Manhattans Rue and I have had together, Um, although I will declare that the universe totally amazes me. And sometimes I feel like there is magic in science. I don't believe in ghosts or spirits, but I do believe that we are connected even when no longer together. 
as my palm felt the rough and invasive tickle of that man's finger, an image came to mind. It was of one of my grandmothers, the Jean in the Barber Jean. And I have to interrupt this because my Aunt Bonnie is here from South Porcupine visiting, and she wanted to come and be here, but she knew that grandmother, and uh, she was very dear to all of us. So Jean, uh, who had died years before, she actually died on the day I graduated from high school. Uh, in her lifetime, she was never more than four foot nine. Don't ask where this comes from. Um, she was definitely full of spirit and some sass. That is where this comes from. Uh, she raised four boys. She loved hockey, especially back in the day when there was serious fighting that was not only allowed but encouraged. She had huge blue-green eyes. Feeling slightly unsafe and definitely in uncharted waters in this lawyer's office, I felt my grandma's presence. I could see her eyes shining on me. I could feel her DNA full of moxie coursing through my veins. I knew who I was. So I took a deep breath, smiled at the lawyer who had no business leading anyone, let alone conducting a job interview on behalf of his firm. And I said, um, well, it doesn't stand for blowjob. Is this interview over? And it was. The firm that had topped my list to join as a new, hungry, tenacious lawyer disappeared from my path. So did a touch of my enthusiasm with joining the legal profession. Nothing like recharting even before I had charted, if you know what I mean. So just between us, and I know this is being recorded, so what does that mean? Um, 10 years later, uh, I tickled his hand in front of 500 people while accepting a prestigious Young Lawyers Award that I had earned, that I had asked my village to support me in winning, that again changed my path. And just so you know, he didn't react to my tickle. He had no recollection of what he had done or tried to do to me a decade earlier. We are all called upon from time to time, for some all too frequently, to manage a situation that should never exist in the first place. I don't have a recipe for anyone in this room or anyone outside of this room or a playbook for how you should manage inappropriate behavior, harassment, bullying, or sexual harassment. I think that it is time sensitive and your response will depend on how you feel in the moment, but also where you feel you are in the universe that's made up of energy, constancy, and a lot of power. So now with almost 20 years under my belt, that's being recorded too, oh dear, um, and a much higher level of confidence, today I might respond to that behavior quite differently. 
Perhaps it would include, sir, certainly you appreciate that tickling my palm and greeting me with sexual innuendo, if that's even innuendo, it was pretty overt, is totally inappropriate for a job interview. It is also unacceptable that you are doing this to boast to your two juniors who are present. It might go further and include a comment to the two other male lawyers in the room. Gentlemen, we are all better than this. By being passive in this moment, you are contributing to our mutual destruction. Men harassing women keeps all of us from excellence, not just women. It might include a note or a call to the firm's managing partner. As a managing partner myself now, I know how important those calls can be. It might also include a note to the Law Society. But at that time, when I was 23 years old, with the image of my long past Nana in my mind's eye, the best I could do was say the words that he was thinking and confirm that I had no interest in continuing with the interview. So, pretty heavy to start off our discussion about Me Too. Um, that lawyer, uh, in the past year, has been charged with raping one of his associates. So, I assure you that when we have this really important conversation, uh, that is going to include a discussion about standing up versus stepping out, please know that in the moment you are faced, whether it's you who is uh, facing the harassment or whether it is you who is seeing the harassment, you are in a situation to affect immediate and real change. But if we say nothing, if we don't talk about this subject matter, if we don't think about it and allow ourselves to be completely imperfect so that we can really honestly talk about these issues, we will never improve. And we can see what's going on in the world right now that being marginalized, whether from your ethnicity, from your religion, from your gender, from your orientation, that we have to work harder to be together to take care of each other, to have excellence in our communities. So that's why I'm here. Small, little, tiny mandate, right, Michael? Like, no, no big deal. By the way, talking about the SABs or the Insurance Act is so much easier than talking about Me Too. So um, what I've done, because, um, and I think half of you saw my chirpy little video on LinkedIn or Twitter about what we were gonna do today, um, what I've done is I'm kicking it old school with you. We're using a flip chart. Michael promised me smelly markers. Whatever gets your kicks, right? Um, but we're going to work through this flip chart. And you can listen to me, um, but the value is not in what I have to share with you. The value is in what you share with the group and how we appreciate difference in the conversation. Um, the first Me Too talk that I gave I, as I was going through it, I was realizing the lack of consensus in the room, the divergent perspectives in the room, the different experiences, times, place, generations that contribute to how 
we see things through our own individual lens. So as I've grown through this process, I've realized that the conversation is the most important part. I don't have a right or wrong. I don't have a do this in this situation. As I said, there is absolutely no playbook for this, apart from perhaps in the absolute most stark um, situations. So um, history of Me Too, where did this all come from? Say it loud and say it proud, Rue. Um, so, so Me Too Online, the hashtag Me Too certainly came with Harvey Weinstein, right? It was Alyssa Milano. We all remember her from TV when we were little. Um, it was Alyssa Milano who coined hashtag Me Too. But in fact, it was, it was about um, 2006 when Tarana Burke coined Me Too. And so we have had this conversation going in different respects since at least 2006. I think we had other conversations that didn't have Me Too long before. Um, but what's interesting is that because of the development of social media, and some of you have been to my social media cyber risk presentations, you know, it's 2007 when we all started to really engage in social media. And for anyone in the room, Scott, I'm looking at you just in case you are of an age that is after the evolution of social media. Rue and I remember when social media did not exist. This is a big game changer, right? Because all, all of a sudden we could communicate instantly with all of us. And, um, and that's really how Me Too through the Harvey Weinstein um, issue has emerged. So hashtag me too is really about a discussion around sexual harassment, uh, predators, sexual assault. Um, but fundamentally, it is about power. So when we have this conversation today about me too, we need to be having a conversation about power. And what we learn from a conversation about power is transferable to so many other discussions about power. It's not just about men and women. Certainly, I don't think Me Too is just about men and women. Um, it, is, it is more about how we understand power, how we understand our own power, and how people assert power over others. So I also want to say that what I've learned in preparing for today and lots and lots of research and discussions is that this is confusing. And it's confusing, and Michael, I'm gonna use an example of you and me. Michael and I have been friends for years. I think I've already hugged like 90% of the people in the room, so y'all know that I'm a hugger, right? And we had a discussion at the OIA Christmas party, maybe last year or the year before, um, about how confusing it is now of if you are familiar with someone, can you hug them? Can you touch them? Can you, like, you know, when I'm about to wipe out walking down the street in an Ottawa winter, can I grab onto someone? Um, life is confusing now. We don't know what the boundaries are. We don't know who we can walk with, who we can talk with, who we can make um, a silly joke with or a rude joke with. Um, and I appreciate that that's confusing. So as a gesture, I asked Mike if I could hug him. And as a leader in my own organization, where I actually do believe that human contact, physical human contact, is a positive thing when it is appropriate, I say to my staff when they've done great or when they tell me that they're having a baby 
or when we've just, you know, kicked butt on a case or brought in a new client or done something really good for our community, I say, can I give you a hug? Right? So I don't need to put myself on anyone. And I did have one employee who said, nope, I'm not a hugger. <laughs> to which I said, noted. Right? <laughs> Never tried to hug that person again. Um, so, but this whole thing of, with it being so confusing, you know, we've got, we've got the ability to communicate. We can ask questions. Let's not make assumptions about other people's comfort level. And if you're uncertain, engage in the questioning process so that everyone is comfortable in that dynamic and in that space. I personally, um, and in our conversation, I said this at the, at the party, Michael's looking at me and he's like, that discussion was at like quarter after 12. I can't believe you remember these details. Um, but what I also said was, my whole career, I have been tremendously supported, right? Like this room is full of people who have been amazingly supportive to me through my career. And many of those relationships have been relationships with men in the industry that are appropriate and generous and kind and good and professional and friendly, right? Like Butler and I have been on the WIC committee and Laura and I have been on the WIC committee for years and years and years before we all had our, our gray hair. Maybe not Butler. Butler's had it for longer than us. And, and to think that, you know, if I walked in a room and said, hey, honey, right, that that would be perceived as inappropriate or unprofessional or di disrespectful, right? What is inappropriate and disrespectful is when I'm at a lat case conference and the adjudicator calls me Missy. <laughs> Which is so funny because my Nana used to call me Missy, but not the lat adjudicator. <laughs> and you wanna know what I did? I'm, I'm trying to empower you with different examples of what you can or you might not do. So he said, Missy, and I went like this. And he looked at me and kept talking and then said, Missy, and I went. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I am so confused right now. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you keep talking to someone and I can't even find anyone else. What do you mean, Miss Schultz? Oh, okay. Yeah, I am Miss Schultz. I'm not Missy. Thank you, Mr. Adjudicator. We'll proceed. Right? I might not have had the chutzpah to say it that way when I was a second or third year lawyer, but, um, but time has taught me a few things. So I want to talk now a little bit, and Rue, like you were so great by shouting out Harvey right out the gates. Um, and I am totally dependent on none of you going into a sandwich-based carb coma while we're having this discussion. But I think it's important for us to have some real reflection on this concept of high profile versus low profile. Um, you know, high profile, Harvey Weinstein, you know, the politicians, the famous people, the wealthy people, the people with lots of power. So like the CEOs, um, the, the big wigs, right? Um, but although that is what grabs our media's attention and that is what is profiled, 
um, we need to know that like this is very grassroots, right? Like this, this isn't something that is only happening in the corridors of fame and fortune. This is happening all over the place. It happens to articling students in their job interviews. It happens to um, kids trying to get summer jobs. It happens to uh, women who are you know, at a conference. It happens to women who are trying to get a promotion, who are also trying to you know, have a family and have some other things outside of work. It happens peer on peer. It happens up, down, side to side, and down, up. And those are not rude references. I was just talking about power comes from all directions. This is not the Kama Sutra. Okay. But, but we need to know this, right? We need, we need to know this because there is an incredible thing happening in society, which we moved away from after the 1940s. It's coming back where we disassociate, right? So we think, well, that happens in Harvey Weinstein's circle. That's not what's happening in my circle. But in my research, I have been able to learn that every single table that I sit at, every single table can either tell me a story of a personal experience, someone at the table, a personal experience, or they can tell me of their best friend, a relative, or a close colleague. So we, we must not think that this is like, it's over here, or it's up there, because it isn't. It's right here with us, absolutely. Um, so we can use the high-profile media cases um, to learn from. But what we must not do is say, well, you know, he's so big and powerful, and that's why that was going on. Because it's going on where there isn't that same kind of monetary or reputational power. I want to know a little bit about what is important to you. And then I also want to hear from you about why you think this discussion is important to the OIA. So just take a moment, you know, reflect on your own. Think about what's important to you of being, you're all here today. Thank you for showing up. Um, but what, what was important enough about this topic, or was it just the election, which was not feisty, by the way. That was not a feisty election. Um, <laughs> What, what was important enough about this topic to either spark your interest, let alone get you on the highway today to come, to come here? Yeah, so the prevalence in our society, I just, because I have the mics, I'm gonna repeat what people say. The prevalence in our society as well as to help the generations that are coming up. You know, what have we really accomplished in our lives if we have not laid a path that is slightly better for those who are coming behind us? That's dead on. I don't know if it's prevalent, but social media has made it be more aware. Mm. Terry, excellent point. So is it more prevalent now? Or is it that there's more awareness and discussion and openness about it because of the extent and far-reaching hands of social media? I truly believe that. I believe it's been there for ages, just from what my mom and you know my wife has said. It's been around forever. It's just we're more aware of it because you get your information 
like that. You don't have to wait for the daily newspaper or the news at the end of the night. Media is sent to you every five seconds. Yeah. CNN sends you an update every minute when there's breaking news. Um, so I think it's always been there. But important to me, why it's important to me, is I do have a daughter that's going into the workforce. Mm -hmm. And it's important for me to make sure that she's aware that this isn't acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting um, to see how when it's a person close to us, we can feel more passionate about an issue, right? Um, you know, like WIC. When I got really involved in WIC, it was because one of my most beloved people was suffering. And I had to do something so that I could feel like I had some power, right? And not just feel sad. And it's the same thing. Like, you've got your daughter who's going into the workplace. I have my 13-year-old who officially is taller than me now. I'm a little intimidated by that knowledge. Yes, it's true. She's 13, taller than me. But like, oh my God, I'm afraid for her. I am genuinely concerned. Like, Mike, your kids, right? Your girls. We, we all worry about this for the younger ones so that they have an easier and better experience. But I think with this discussion also, we have to be talking about resilience because it has been going on forever, maybe in different shapes and sizes and maybe with some different normative values, so levels of acceptance or passivity around it, but it has been going on forever. And I would love to say that being here with you today is like, poof, we have some fairy dust, and it's all going to disappear, but it's not. Michael. I think you know, the awareness has created awareness in us as leaders that we have an obligation to educate ourselves and to be better. And you know, as parents, obviously, you know, we, want, we want better for them. So that's what's driven me, and I think the OIAA is to try and at least get the conversation going so that the folks in this room can grow to have those conversations with others and with their kids. And to lead. Yeah. To lead. It's, it's, it's got to happen. Yeah. You know, we're aware of it. It's everywhere. Well, and as a leader within your organization, and many of you as leaders within your own, your own teams, what, what is amazing to me as an insurance defense lawyer, which is my day job when I'm not chirping and, you know, <laughs> being on some sort of committee, um, as an insurance defense lawyer, this is a tangible risk, right? So... Uh, it's a risk for boards. It is a risk uh, for employers. Uh, it is a huge risk. So it's a brand risk. It's a monetary risk. It's a reputational risk. It's, it is massive. Um, and historically, and we are going to talk about this in a few more flips of the chart, um, historically, we did something that has colloquially been called pass the trash, right? We don't really talk about it. We sign non-disclosure agreements. We put someone in probably to start a different department, see how that goes, and then see if the behavior repeats, and then maybe uh, put them on a project that requires them to work from home, <laughs> right? See how that goes, and then see if the person should be exited uh, from the company. But that isn't what is tolerated anymore. And setting an example in leadership um, has to include doing more than just transferring the person around the company, hoping that somehow the behavior will stop rather than actually addressing the behavior. Um, so we will talk about that a little bit more. What else 
made, made today important enough for you to show up. my son growing up to be a respectful, you know, young man and how he treats women and where, where he's going to work or in school or in class, like, you know what I mean? Just, yeah. just that too. It's, it's not just about, it's about this young generation of men and women growing up to respect each other in workplaces and, and just in life. On their teams, yes. on, on their block, with their friends, all of that. So getting the boys and the girls to be self-aware enough and have resilience and communication skills and self-respect, because if they have the self-respect, then they're not going to misuse or abuse their own power. Um, definitely. Anyone else want it? Yeah. I love I love doing this to the girls. She can do both. <laughs> do it all. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what, we're going to talk about that. So maybe having this conversation with your daughter after today, um, you know, this is a push it forward, pay it forward kind of afternoon. Um, but having that discussion around, and that's why I gave you the examples of how I might have done it differently now with, with that lawyer. But what is appropriate, um, what is fair? Um, you know, there are a lot of different situations also where some are obviously inappropriate and you can react more strongly about it, but what is also going to move your interests forward and what's going to move your um, comfort and safety within whatever environment you're in forward. So, um, so there's some interesting challenges around that. I, I, I also like the imagery of her having a hammer with her, though, because sometimes that might be exactly what's needed. Anyone else want to contribute to this, or shall we? Yeah, did you? Okay, okay um, so this is a wheel. Sometimes I draw it as a flower, um, but I taught at the OPP general headquarters for half a decade, and the cops didn't want to use a flower. Um, so I had to modify my teaching style to make it a wheel. Um, what, what I want to do here is just have a little experiment with you about your lens. What contributes to you seeing things the way you see them? Um, so your perspective, your lens, your filter. And what I teach in my conflict resolution work is that it's all about your education, training, experience, family, upbringing, all of that. Um, so do people have a little piece of paper? Can you share a pen and a paper? Everyone should have a little, little piece of paper. So please feel free to draw this as petals on a flower, if you would prefer, or just draw it as a wheel. And I'd like you to take like maybe three or four minutes and think about descriptors that influence how you see the issue of Me Too 
in your workplace, okay? So in, in your workplace, and, and so Laura, like not just like what's going on in your workplace, but like your workplace is the industry, right? So, so it might be easier to do this as, you know, your workplace within the industry. And I'm just going to share with you because you're like, descriptors, what? What do you really want from me? Um, so I'm going to share with you what some of my descriptors would be that influence the lens through which I see this issue, okay? Um, so, Do you want to know what's so funny? So I was picking a jury, and they and they fill out all that you get from jury notes are what their job is, and um, and and their name. And so the first one I got was S M L. Next word, B I Z, owner. And I was like, small business, small business owner. Does it say small bus owner? Like I was so confused. Small business owner, which basically like every entrepreneur on the planet until they become rich and famous, like Richard Branson, right? Um, okay, so you can see I'm trying to fill this in. I've got teacher, woman, lawyer, mom, actress. Yes, before I went to law school, that's what I did. Um, business owner. Um, uh, optimist. Um, So, and my dears, there is no right or wrong, right? Like this isn't, you're not getting graded, you're not getting evaluated, it's not about right or wrong, it's about taking a moment, which we never do, to be self-reflective. She does that. She's been banished to the corner. Okay, come on, Ruth. Come on, Joe. <laughs> oh, I took her hand without asking. And notice I took it without any issues because I trust you. 
And I, I'm comfortable in our space, right? I'm comfortable in our space, right? And that, I think, is also very important. Okay, come here. <laughs> Sit. <laughs> You got it. You got it. Yeah. Next order. Next order of business for the OIA: consent forms. Mm -hmm. um, isn't that? Aren't we all at the out of town pretty soon? Yes. Registration package: consent forms. Yeah. And they're not consent forms about whether you can be depicted on the social media of the OIA, right? Well, I agree to have my photo posted on the. Mm -hmm. I would hate to, the other part about this whole Me Too movement, and so I can I can see both sides. I have a son and a daughter, and they're yeah. teenagers. Yeah. My son is not a hockey player, he's a geek, yeah. right? So, so again, there's that, you know, I, I and I have a lovely husband, and I, I kind of feel sometimes my guys get a bad rap. There's some great men out there. There's some wonderful men that Sad. we're surrounded by. Yeah. And I hate to think that, um, you know, I need to, so my, I actually, there's one of my male bosses, I've been with the company for 12 years, always kiss on the cheek, yeah. and every time we talk, we talk about our families. Yeah. He knows about mine, I know about his, yeah. it's great. I would hate to think that now, when I saw my boss, that either of us would feel uncomfortable. That bothers me about the whole Me Too. That is exactly what Michael and I were talking about. See, that's and that's and it should bother all of us about it. I don't want I don't want things that I've already established now to become awkward. Yeah. And yep. I don't and, and like I said, my son always says, he says, Mom, I'm not, you know, I'm not the hockey player, I'm not a sports guy. But he's but then there's also the first the first conversation I ever had about any kind of assault was when I was in high school. And it was one of my gay friends that was assaulted in the men's bathroom. Yep. So again, that to me is, is a me too issue. And, and Rue, like on the first page, that's exactly, like if we go back to when it was just blank and me too, like let us not think that number one, this is a conversation today bashing men. Yeah. Like because it isn't, because it isn't. Let's also, Agree, and I, I told you that I wasn't going to make like statements, like rules, but but let us agree that Me Too is about everyone. So harassment or assault can happen, gender on gender, sex on sex, orientation on orientation, up, down, sideways, right? So this is not about something that is happening to women. This is about an issue around power and an issue around respecting those who are in our, in our worlds, in our communities, and being aware that in your relationship with one of your two bosses, you guys have established that a kiss on each cheek and having a conversation that includes personal sharing is absolutely appropriate. And what I said earlier, Rue, is I think it's important Right? Like, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to work and not talk to my team and my people about being human, right? And, and so, like, just to go way deep on that right now, like, I've already had a conversation with Leanne in the first 10 minutes of being here 
about my son Emery, right? Like you guys, you guys know what goes on in my life. All of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the, and the treacherous. And, and that is so valuable to us being excellent together. Um, and some people are comfortable sharing more, and some people are less comfortable, and that's okay. The point around the power awareness is that if you were uncomfortable and your boss was asking you about your relationship with your husband, right? And you needed to put some boundaries around that conversation, do you feel like you have the skills and the options, the ability to option generate about how to manage that dynamic? And does your boss work in an environment where the culture of the environment promotes that self-awareness for its people? We're all leaders, right? Wherever we are in the company or in our community or in our family, we are all leaders. So I love the fact that you have that relationship with your boss. And if it were to feel stifled, like Michael and I agreed that we, we know our relationship, right? And we know what we are comfortable at with our joking and with our um, saying hello to each other and how we communicate with each other. We agreed on that. And so if there's a moment that comes where you're confused about a historic relationship you know, Rue, how about saying it out loud? Like, we're still good, right? Like, this Me Too thing is confusing. Are, are you and I still, we're, we're good. We're it's comfortable. Like, it's funny, because you have that level of comfort, it's not really a boss-employee relationship because we've always been Until friends. you don't get your homework yeah. done. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, Rue always I, gets I her work done. Right. I think it's a power yeah. thing. It's where you see yourself on the power scale. Mm -hmm. Because... Like, I, I would never, like, I can almost guarantee it's equal, equal. Like, you're not, yeah. there's no power. I mean, yeah. whatever, whatever title you give someone, yeah. that's fine. But it's how people, I think, see each other on any level. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. you could be... And, and power is complicated, yeah. right? Because there's all different sources of power. We know, and you know, like in the high profile cases, we've talked about money and status and reputation and access to influence, right? But there's other kinds of power. There's nuisance power, right? And nuisance power, honestly, I don't, I don't know if anyone saw this, there's a $20 million lawsuit that's been initiated in Ohio against a law firm where there was chronic um, conduct against the women, the women lawyers, the women partners, um, not just around sexual harassment, but also around just completely depleting their ability to be promoted within the organization uh, to go off on maternity leave. Please remember, folks, this is Ohio. It's not Canada, where you get a year, or is it 18 months now? To 18 months. I'm going to have a baby. Oh, no. I'm the employer. Damn. Please don't record that. I'm not having a baby. No. No. Um, so, so, right? Like, there's, there's the perception of power. The description of this law firm is that it was like a, a frat. Like, the power structure within the firm was like a very traditional, not-so-positive fraternity. And, uh, and so, Rue, like your, your boss, it sounds to me like your boss is very self-aware and is very comfortable in his relationship with you. And, well, and, and probably because self-awareness 
doesn't just apply to one relationship, right? Like if you've got self-awareness, you tend to have more positive relationships. So, but it's also that ability to know, you know, as I said, can I hug you? And my employee said, no, I'm not a hugger. And then knowing and respecting um, those dynamics. I think the power issue though can be very subtle um, in many ways. And it's as a relationship or exposure grows and continues where power inferences and pressure um, can be applied. But I'm gonna loop us back to the flower slash wheel because um, I think this is something that would be valuable to bring back to your teams um, to do as a little like lunchtime pizza um, exercise if you were interested in doing it. Um, so I will be the guinea pig. Um, not surprisingly, and I don't think they're ranked by where they place on the page, but I've got woman, lawyer, mom, actress, business owner, student, optimist, and teacher. Um, and some people would say, like, that's pretty funny to have teacher and student. The only reason why I teach is so that I can learn. I love it. I get way more out of it than anyone else in the room. Um, optimist, I'm here with you today. Absolutely, because I came out of the womb a tremendous optimist. And I do not think for one second that having a discussion, even about something that is uncomfortable, um, can do anything but help us be and do better. Um, lawyer, like you guys, some of you have seen me in action. Like I'm an advocate, right? And I, and I believe that when uh, there is a value um, a value-based, behavioral, morality-based argument to have that I'm a scrapper. I will go to bat on that. Um, and which is funny because, you know, I mostly do first-party insurance defense work and lots of people who don't do AB work or property work or LTD work would say, well, you can't be oriented to values and morality and be the defense lawyer. And I can because my orientation is to find the fair and just resolution and be a strong advocate throughout. So it's actually very consistent with my uh, value system. I have mom here, and this isn't just me as a mom. This is, um, I, I was telling my auntie, um, I wear this bracelet. It's a queen bee on the bracelet. And uh, some of you guys have seen this from me on Twitter before. I believe that if we were all everyone's mama, that the world would be a much better place. And I remind myself of that all the time with my queen bee. So my mom here is about perspective and quite honestly about generosity of, of spirit. So when I face a difficult situation, even in the context of me too, I'm, I'm always going to orient to how can we make this situation better, um, which ties back to optimist and probably teacher. Um, actress. So, you know, like Harvey Weinstein aside, because I never ruled with that crowd. I had to go to law school because I couldn't make a living as an actress. Um, but, you know, like I started acting when I was five. I, uh, I went to lots of open auditions. Um, I have been this tall since I was 13, getting served at the Summerhill Liquor Store in Toronto for my older brothers. I'm past the age of getting arrested for that, right? Even, even if it's being recorded. Um, 
so, so, but there's all, all different parts of actress that pulls into me sharing this with you as part of my filter for how I understand me too. And one of the things that I'm gonna plop down there for you and we'll talk about it on another sheet is, you know when you're in such an uncomfortable situation and you're just going to act your way through it so that it can be over? You know, like we have all done it. We've done it in many different contexts and I am not here to suggest to you to fight every fight. You know, we have got to choose our battles in life or we will never get through one day, let alone a week or a month or a year. Um, but this is about showing up versus stepping out. And you can put on a kind face even when you see that something is not right or you can think of a strategy about how to help make it a little bit more right. You might not be able to fix it, but how can you make it more right? And one of the things that I've learned in my career, in my lifetime, is when to use the, you know, oh, I can, I can act my way through this in a positive way versus when I need to use all those other skills from my acting experience of like, oh, pretending to be really confident right? And being in front of a crowd of strangers and advocating for a certain position or perspective. Um, you know, how to prepare, how to prepare. Act actors actually, you know, learn how to prepare for stuff, which is why it's fun being a litigator now, having been an actress. But, but also preparing is reflecting and planning. So thinking about what that situation was like, why was it like that? And how going forward do I want that situation to be, again, with the orientation of it being a little bit better, right? Um, business owner, holy crap. Like I can tell you, I'm terrified as a business owner about the risks to my company, my company's brand, which is everything. You know, our reputation is what brings work in the door. Could you imagine if I had someone on my staff who was a predator? Most of all, could you imagine if I had someone on my staff who was a predator, who I then released or exited from the organization and allowed for an NDA to be signed, right? Because all of the people in my organization who were experiencing the predator wouldn't be signatory to the NDA. The NDA, the non-disclosure agreement, is between the employer and the exited employee. But all the other people in the organization know about the behavior that warranted the exiting. So my brand is just as screwed, if not more, from having the NDA signed because the people who were affected by the behavior know about it, and they talk about it. And I'm going to say, you know, from an opinion perspective right now, and they should talk about it. But we're going to talk about NDAs more. So who wants to share? You don't have to share all of your pedals, spokes in your wheel. Um, maybe like the top two things that craft your lens of how you see, see this issue in, in the industry. And I will call upon board members first if I have a lack of participation. Dun, dun, dun. Three, two, yes, Simone. So I have a question. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to answer this, but I'm going to 
two in here, I have independent and I have role models. Okay, independent and role model. Can you flesh that out for us to, to help us understand how that influences your lens? I see myself as a very independent woman and I have tried to instill that on my two daughters and I'm trying to teach them to do that with my grandbaby and then showing my son how I've been respected that then gives him the ability to be a role model in amongst our family, mixed in with his sisters and his nieces. Yeah. That's independent and role model for me. Awesome. Awesome. Who else? Scott. Two of mine have kind of lived, obviously, like I'm a young male, single in this world that we're trying to navigate through, and it's all very scary for me at times because. It's not like you're trying to meet somebody. I, I go and say hi to somebody in a bar or any social area, and you just don't know how they're going to react to it. You don't know how they're going to perceive that if they perceive it as predatory, but I'm just trying to introduce myself and say hello. And the other one that I have is Emma's Ati. As a Singapore hockey player, I've heard of a lot of things that have gone on, not only between male and female, but between teammates, between hazing mm -hmm. and other yep. things. And I, I'm thankful that I was never part of it. Yeah. Um, so I want to say thank you for coming. Like, thank you. Um, and, and so much of what you're saying is exactly what this is all about. And, and, and I want to take one part of it, the line. Um, so we'll call it the center line, right? But like the center line is actually pretty wide. Um, and so this whole thing of us wishing that we could just have the line. Like, could I please know what the line is? And if I walk up to you at the bar and I say, hi, my name's Katie, could that line be like, we're all at a bar so we can be friendly and that's not me interrupting your night out with your guys and infringing on your space, right? So like the line needs to be a little bit jiggly I'm less jiggly now than I was last year when I did the mock trial for you. A little bit jiggly, right? It needs to be a little bit jiggly. And, and the point of this discussion is to be like, am I aware of the line, right? And if I'm not certain about the line, am I able to communicate to figure out what the line is? So, and I agree with you, like, you know, and I can't remember the last time I went to a bar because I have two children, a husband, a firm, and some not-for-profit work that I'm trying to deal with and cure a disease. But tomorrow, if I were to go to a bar, it would be, you know, like, I get it. I get this idea. Like, when, God, when we were kids and we went to the bar, we were all at the bar because we wanted to be at the bar meeting people. And that's because you couldn't 
meet someone, right? This didn't exist. You had to go to the bar, you know, or the hockey game, right? Or whatever it was, right, Rue? Yes. Like, you know? So, so there's a generational piece also in this in understanding the line because those of us who have been dyeing our hair for a long time, you know, like our understanding was that the bar <laughs> was where you went to say, hi, I'm Katie. And then I would get carded because I sounded like I was 12, <laughs> right? So, so, but also, and you know, the St. Mike's College, um, and we're not going to go too deep into that because I'm not supposed to talk for 16 days today. We all have, you know, other things to do today. Um, but the St. Mike's College um, issue, and it's it's on another chart here, not about about St. Mike's per se, um, but it is, guys, this thing about stepping up or stepping out. And you know, there was a lot of discussion in that context. And for those of you who don't know about it, you can get up to speed later. But there was a lot of discussion around the tapers, right? Is that what we call them now? Like they were vid videoers, um, the recorders. Um, and, and is that a passivity? Is that an exacerbation? Or was that actually protective? Um, because some people were trying to pitch it, and now I've got everyone so uncomfortable and wanting to share their, their opinion. Um, but there, there was, you know, like some, some comment about how the kids that recorded it, at least one of the kids said that he recorded it because he was so uncomfortable with what was going on, he didn't think he could do anything about it, but he knew he could document it so that they got punished down the road. Okay? We weren't there. We're not in that kid's heart and soul and brain and fight or flight amygdala taking over his entire being um, at that moment. Uh, but the other, the other side of this or the many other sides of this, um, is that you know someone was intentionally not intervening to protect the boy, um, and instead was going to market this episode on social media, right? So, so I I can't tell you, I can't tell you anything today. I can just make you think. I can't tell you what the motivations were. Um, it's a great example though of what we knew was that the act that was going on was not at all acceptable. And so you're going to decide as you continue to think and grow about these issues, you're gonna decide if you would be the person who would send a text to your parent right that moment. Because that didn't happen, right? Mama, this kid's being beaten up with a uh, broomstick by other boys, he's naked on the floor of the change room, I need your help. That could have happened, I know that my daughter can video and text at the same time, she has like magical powers with that device. Um, so, but that didn't happen, right? So it lends less credence to the, you know, documenting it to be able to punish down the road um, argument, but, but the discussion of what's appropriate in the locker room, what's appropriate when you're on a travel team uh, you know, what kind of conduct meets the standard um, for whether it's for your hockey team or for your organization. Guys, codes of conduct are not implicit. They're not. Codes of conduct come from saying, I believe this is okay, and someone else saying, okay, so this isn't the place for you to work. Or I believe this is okay, yes, 
Let's promote this. How do we build this into our culture? How do we reinforce this? How do we make everyone know that this is what is expected here in this organization? So, little tangent, a um, few of you uh, were supporting me through the summer of my transition from my old firm to launching Schultz Frost. And uh, so August 31st, 2015, we opened Schultz Frost. We're all in the boardroom. We're all so excited, and, uh, and I drop a heavy on, on my team. And this was the heavy. Folks, at Schultz Frost, we have a no effing rule. And you, you're like, no, I would not do that. <laughs> it's not that you're not allowed to say. <laughs> you're not allowed to flirt fraternize or anyone in the firm. And guys, my, my, my workplace, although I've hung out with the OIA a lot for a long time, lawyers are a special breed. Yes, they are. Say, say that into the mic. Say, say it into the live, oh, say it into the live mic, Flora. Yes, they are. Yeah. So, so, and again, let's talk about power, right? So you start off as a baby lawyer before you've got your license. You're an articling student. You are in servitude for 10 months. It sucks, but it's an apprenticeship, right? And it gets you to the next level and you have to work really hard and you have to be open to like learning when you're terrified and precarious. So hard to learn when you're terrified and precarious. And I teach at a law school. They don't teach you anything in law school about how to practice law. Did you know that? They teach you in law school how to think about law. They don't teach you how to practice law. So you start articling and you're told to do something and you're like, did I not take that class? But they didn't give you that class. They don't exist. So you go from being a baby lawyer, articling student, on a 10-month contract, precarious for your future, with high demands, and guess what? Lawyers tend to be bossy, opinionated people. It's true, I know. <laughs> You wouldn't think that spending time with me. It's so true. Bossy, opinionated people. They also tend to work for the billable moment, right? Which I love it for all the IAs in the room because you know what docketing is all about. But it's like the point one, the point one, the point one, the point one. So they're constantly on the clock. They're moving. They're like, I got to get this done. I got to get to the next thing. Oh, I didn't get that done. Blue, 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 blue. So it's hard. They also have very high rates of addiction. Very, very high rates of addiction. And sometimes that manifests in like drugs and alcohol, but other times it manifests with very persistent behavior. And sometimes it manifests with bullying. It does. So, so we have lawyers. We have a hierarchy in private practice for lawyers. From baby lawyer to, then you get to be a junior associate. Great. So you do that for four, five, six in this industry now, nine, 10, 11 years, you become a senior associate, then you might be offered partnership. Except now in the industry, you're not actually offered partnership, you're offered the title of partner and you're kept on salary and you get some tax benefits, but you don't get to play in the profit game. But maybe you do, maybe you become a partner. And in all of that evolution of your career, you also have legal assistance, 
summer students, other articling students who come after you, staff, right? Your finance department, maybe an HR department, if you're lucky to have someone. Lawyers don't believe in HR departments. Um, maybe now with me too, they're thinking about that more. But you have all of these different people who get supervised and given work and assigned work and how their day is controlled by someone else's needs, all of those things. So the rule at Schultz Frost of the three no Fs is because power in a private practice law firm is a constantly changing, moving target. So the articling student who thinks that they can have a sexual relationship with an assistant because they're an articling student and they feel like they're the lowest on the totem pole, the issue is what happens if they get hired back and that assistant becomes their assistant. See how the power shifts in 10 months, right? Or the articling student becomes a junior and then a senior associate and then a partner, right? And that partner who is now an owner of the business is now having a relationship with a junior who is an employee. So it used to be where you could go to law school and you could go to a law firm and that's exactly where you met your spouse. And, and much like Scott going to the bar and being like, do I say hello? Do I not say hello? Is this okay? Are they going to think that I'm a, I'm a jerk? Whatever. The same issues are happening, changes are happening in legal practice. The point for us at Schultz Frost, and many of you have met the fabulous Frosty, Jason Frost, my partner, my work partner, not my love partner. That would be Marcus. Um, spouse. I think we still call them spouses, right? <laughs> Husband. Um, you know, so Jason and I stood up and we declared it. And it was not at all because we thought no one's going to like anyone in the firm or no one's going to flirt or fraternize with anyone in the firm. It is that we wanted to make it clear what the culture and expect... Are you starting to record this again, Terry? Because I keep saying the F-bomb. Okay. Um, I'm going to clean that up a little bit. Um, but we wanted to declare it because the culture of an organization is never established just by being like, okay, we're just going to go with it, right? Especially on the challenging, blurry center line things, you got to say it out loud and then have a conversation about it. And I promise you, it was less than a year later, right? Where I had to pull in the articling student who had come back as a first year lawyer who had done really well as an articling student, and the week after I offered him the job, and he went off on a little holiday and got called to the bar, and then he came back. Several of the staff told me that he had been sleeping with my assistant. <laughs> right? After he was there for the no effing discussion. So I called him in and I said, so what is the number one thing we need to work on this year? He's like, my docket. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you can have two number ones, uh, it's something else. And he's like, my ability to pull the trigger. Some junior lawyers like write and write and write, and they never produce a product. So pull the trigger, he said. And I was like, mm, that's going to be number three. We've got another, another bigger one. 
And he looked at me blankly and I said, so I know this relationship went on and I know that it's ended. It's been brought to me by several people. I need you to understand that for you to be successful in this organization, it's important that you know where your power lies and that you do not have power over other people from a sexual perspective, okay? Because she now is a staff member to you. She supports your practice. You determine if she has to work seven hours today or 14 hours today or 20 hours. We're trial lawyers. It can be bad. It can be bad, right? So, but I had to have the conversation with him because in our meeting of no effing this, no effing that, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So the, the other part of this is like, you know, can we go and have the one-on-one -on -one if we need to? As a leader, if you see something going sideways, do you have the confidence? Do you have the skill set? Do you have the organizational support to have that really difficult conversation where lots of people are going to answer and say, but I don't agree with that policy, right? So tell me how that policy could be improved. Instead of saying, no, you need to agree with the policy because that's the policy, how could that policy be improved, right? What are, the, what are the shortfalls or pitfalls with the policy as you see it? Let's make this company better by having this conversation. Anyone else want to share on this? And can, Did yeah. you have the same conversation with your assistant? I had a similar conversation with my assistant um, because, you know, there, there is also, and Terry, such a good question, thank you. Um, and uh, Laura, <laughs> she's never she's never quiet at a WIC no, gala no, committee meeting. She asked me. She did yeah. she No, and it's and it's such a good question. So so I had a different conversation with her, and I had a different conversation because I want you to understand that from my perspective, there's a power imbalance there. So I had the conversation with her about why we really discourage those relationships and why those relationships can cause a lot of problems. And I, and I mapped out to her what I thought some of those problems could be. I also said to both of them, if this relationship is important to you, I want you to know, I know like almost every single person in the practice of law in Ontario and in insurance, and I think you're great, and I would help you to get another job. I would. I will give you up. I, I adore you. You're valuable to my company. I will give you up and help you get placed somewhere else because this no effing rule is so valuable to us. And it's so valuable to us because Frosty and I grew up at firms where the no effing rule didn't exist, right? And I would come into the office and things would be going on. Or at the holiday parties, things would be going on. Or walking back from a mediation, people would be walking out of the King Eddie at one o'clock in the afternoon when there wasn't a conference at the King Eddie, okay? So, and we saw the people who lost their jobs. We saw, I had been a partner at another firm. We saw the costs to these firms of having um, a passivity about power uh, differentials and sexual relationships. Um, I will also tell you, so, so at, my, at my last firm, there was a situation with a fairly senior person who was having a relationship with an assistant. And several of the female staff came to me because I was one of the female partners and I think I was perceived as being an approachable person to have this discussion. 
asking for it to be managed. They felt like they were being intimidated by this lawyer, having pressure put on them to like work late and then go out for dinner, you know, things like that. And so I brought it to my management committee. This was about two and a half years before I left. So imagine, sometimes you can't do anything right away or do a lot right away. Um, and I explained what had been told to me and I thought that this needed to be investigated and we needed to make sure that our people felt safe. That's what I said. And I was called a prude. Guys, this is in like 2013. This is not so long ago. I was called a prude. So then I went through the Human Rights Code, showed a couple of the paragraphs to our management committee, and their response was, this says, if no consent. And these are adults. So they're consenting. And I looked at the five men on the management committee, and I said, have you ever read anything about power? Because I'll give you a whole library about power, and you can pick just one or two articles about it. But we must know that the discussion about, okay, we're all either 16 or 18 or 21 years old or whatever the age um, is in your jurisdiction, that is not what a discussion about sexual activity amongst colleagues in an organization is about. It's not that you're of age and so you're consenting. It is about power. Who controls the outcome, destiny, employment, compensation of, of the other people, right? So, um, so it was interesting. It helped me investigate my own core values and create a exit strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Took a while, but um, yeah, with my, with my Nana's big blue eyes on my shoulder, encouraging me the whole way. Anyone else want to add on to this? So fundamentally, right, this conversation also has to be realistically about reputation. It does. And, um, you know, for the OIA, uh, what... what do you guys think the reputation of the OIA uh, is desired to be or is? One of, how would you describe the OIA's reputation? This is hard stuff. Rash professional. professional, yep. Facilitators. Facilitators. What else? New, renewed, elected people. New delegates. Yeah, so. Shauna said educators. Out of town today. Because it's, you know, it's still an out of town, but I think the, the It's in a town. The out of town was, was a big party out of town. Right. So we wanted to be, you know, we wanted to be branded as provincial. 
Yeah. And so with your reputation, you want these things to be thought of first. And social party place in, a, in an appropriate leveled way, right? Which is different to different people. Networking. What about safe? Safe? Like, um, so just, just to share again, so Frosty and Michael and 150 other people were on the dance floor um, when we had, was it the last one? Was that KW? Yeah. Yeah. KW. And Michael's over here, Frosty's over here. You guys have seen me on the dance floor, so you know I was kind of all over the place. <laughs> And the hand went right on my boob. Like on my boob, unambiguous, overt on my boob, which you know you can tell that you never actually can see any of my boobs because I'm always buttoned up. Hand right on my boob. Frosty jumps over. Michael jumps over, takes the person who intentionally put his hand on my boob and says, not cool, not okay. Frosty used, used pretty strong language back the beep beep up, took that person aside, had a conversation, person came back and apologized to me. Done. But like these things are important, right? And I can tell you, like, don't think for one second that I'm, I'm above, Right? Like, I haven't reached, you don't reach a point in your career or your reputation or your relationships where that will not happen to you. Because, as we said, in the high and the low profile, that can happen to anyone, right? So, it could happen to someone on the dance floor who gets any part of their body touched or grabbed. And it was very interesting to me about how, one, that happened, and two, how it was very obviously seen, and it was dealt with. So, and I don't think, honestly, that that had anything to do with social party place. Um, I felt like I was 100% in a great uh, networking environment. Um, I had given a speech that day. I was on, a, I think I was on a, a panel. Um, you know, I felt like the OIA was incredibly professional, um, and provided this great opportunity for all of us to learn together. It doesn't matter, guys. There's gonna be someone who is going to misstep or step out of place or do something that is not okay. What is needed is how is it dealt with, right? And how do you affirm the values of the organization to maintain, if not enhance, the reputation? So. Um, I'm really looking forward to Ottawa. I think it's going to be great. Um, I think that the networking opportunities, we all know the richness and the benefits that come from that. And focusing on um, these as your reputational features, absolutely the way to go. So cool little um, effort on the rebrand, which, you know, as an outsider, sort of, 
um, I, I think you've done really well with. I do. Yeah, thank you. Our, uh, the way we behave is reflective of all addressers. They look at us as professionals in a sense of these are the way all addressers behave, so we really have to be careful. I always say be politically correct. If you represent all addressers and people don't know Mm -hmm. And, you know, like with the um, Toronto conference, um, you guys bring in all these students, right? And, like, how amazing that these students get to come and learn and hear from you and learn your experience and how you've been part of this industry and how cool the industry is and how you can do a million different things within this industry. So, so like... There's the mentoring and the teaching and the building the future of the industry. There's also, of course, this idea of like you want your employer to support you to learn and network and develop skills. And, and so having your reputation in line with these traits above a reputation, whether ill-conceived or not, right? That's, that's so important. And it does come with, you know, we're all in it. We're all in it together. And this ties back in perfectly to me too, right? If we see ourselves as an island and it's only that person or it's only that person, then we cannot succeed, right? Because it's a better together uh, proposal, absolutely. So I think I said I was gonna talk for an hour and we're like six days in and we're not even close to being done. But like Frank, perfect transition over to mentoring, reporting, and NDAs. Have any of you ever been in a situation where you have either gone to someone for some mentoring about an uncomfortable Me Too situation, or have you ever been approached by someone who needed either an ear or actual advice on how to manage a situation? So many people are nodding right now. Right, okay, so any sharing? All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode of WP Radio. There'll be more content coming shortly, and thanks again for your time. Don't forget to go to WP Digital and check out our page on YouTube and check all the content we put on for you so far this year. We really appreciate it.